Welcome to Field Notes by Ag Choice, a podcast series covering timely, relevant topics for Pennsylvania's agricultural and rural communities. Each episode will include an interview of an Ag Choice expert or one of our industry partners discussing information you need to know. I'm Rachel Sadison, and with me is Ollie King, who raises sheep and beef on his farm in Doylesburg, Pennsylvania, in Franklin County, with his wife, Megan, and the rest of his family. Ollie joins us to share about their operation and strategies for raising sheep and marketing their products. Ollie, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, well, it's my pleasure. It's enjoyable to hopefully help. So our listeners can probably tell from your accent that you aren't a Franklin County native. Uh, Ollie, could you share with us about your story and really how you ended up being a farmer here in South Central Pennsylvania? You're right, Rachel. I'm clearly not from um, not from Pennsylvania and indeed America. So I was in the British Army and um, I served 22 years in the Army, uh, which now I'm retired therefore from. And um, during my uh, time in the Army, I was serving in Afghanistan, and I was in a U.S. Army base. And I met my uh, then, not necessarily soon to be, but soon to be wife, Megan, uh, as she was in the U.S. Army. So we we were both in the same U.S. military camp, uh, and we met uh, there. And then we continued to sort of see each other sporadically around the world. Um, And so we looked for farms in uh, America and the UK because um, I'm from a farming community and I always kind of wanted to be a farmer or wanted to have some land um, because all my friends were farmers, sons or daughters growing up where I'm from. And so um, I really wanted to have some um, some property at least. Couldn't afford to buy any land in the UK. And so then we started our search more in America. And Megan is from Pennsylvania, and so we looked around locally in Franklin County. Megan's parents had a farm in Franklin County, and we managed to find our farm, which is a 90-acre farm. And uh, we bought it from me being in the UK and Megan being in Afghanistan, so that was quite a challenge. We did see the farm before we bought it, um, but we basically bought it uh, via an online contract, etc., etc. Um so yeah, and so that's what brings us to um, to Franklin County, and we have a um, a mixed farm. We have beef, we have sheep, and as I said, Megan has horses. So uh, we did have a little bit of crop, arable crops to begin with, um, before we got the livestock. Uh, but obviously, as we've, the livestock population has grown, we've reduced down uh, any um, cash crops. And now the whole farm is in pasture or hayland, which is basically the same thing because we use rotational grazing. Yeah, such a neat story, Ali. Thanks for sharing. So let's talk a little bit more here about your sheep operation. So could you tell us a little bit about the sheep you raise, how you've grown your flock over the years, and I guess what you've really learned about raising sheep? Sure. Well, um, as I said, we are a mixed, mixed farm, so we have sheep and cows. But I'm new, completely new to agriculture as a, um, an owner. I thought we should start with something uh, not as big as a cow. And so I thought sheep would be a good way to start. Um, so we bought five ewes and three um, ram lambs. And uh, that was in the spring. Two of the ram lambs went to butcher that autumn. And the third was kept to be a stud ram. 
And so we started off, as I say, with five ewes and uh, one ram. And so we had lambs in the springtime, that following spring, and we had some um, some lamb in the freezer. And uh, that, that was the beginning. Um, and we have a, a bank barn on the property, and so I just used the base of the bank barn. Uh, clearly, it's quite an old bank barn. It is in relatively good shape, but it's not uh, like a new construction. And so it was somewhat damp and um, it was somewhat cramped and there wasn't any lighting in there. And so that first year was quite a challenge uh, and I obviously learned quite a lot. Thankfully, in that first year, I didn't lose any of the five ewes. Um, but because they were yearling la- ewes, uh, only three of them had lambs. Moving forward with that, um, I, I thought we needed to look at some different breeds. What we got originally was just a white, fluffy sheep. Um, it, it does have a breed, but it's a Cheviot cross. And so it's not a purebred, and it's got a mixture of uh, bits and bobs in it. And so I thought it was probably wise to, to go with one or two purebred breeds. And so on the farm now, we have Shropshire's, Plum Forest, and the Cheviot crosses. And um, so we started with um, some uh, Plum Forests. And I emailed a couple of people on the Clun Forest registry. And one really nice chap got back to me from um, Marilyn. And I bought uh, two ewes and a ram from him. Um, and from that relationship, I um, bought a couple more sheep from him, but also became involved with the Marilyn Sheep and Wool Festival, uh, for which now I'm a board member. Uh, and I really enjoyed the contacts and the friendships I've made as a result of... Um, that first meeting uh, with the, the chap that sold me the Clun Forest. So we basically bought um, five Cheviot crosses, two Clun Forest ewes, and then I, over the next three years, bought six, six, and six of Shropshire's, um, each of the groups coming with their own ram. So um, we run three breeds, so we've got five groups with five rams uh, come autumn time because um, we're running them as separate groups to keep the um, purebred and registered ones uh, in, in their own line there. Yeah, and so we, 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 we started with those numbers and we're now up to 60-odd um, sheep on the farm. So we, we have 54 ewes in the barn now that are lambing. We choose springtime lambing um, so that when the grass comes in, which is almost now, um, the mothers can go out on the fresh pasture um, almost straight out the barn. So they, they get sheared at the end of February and then they stay in the barn until the beginning of April, mid-April. Um, so they have basically four weeks just with new shorn coats and then they start lambing and they kind of go through um, the general population in the lambing barn. Then they go into mothering pens for a couple of days and then they go into a sort of a maternity wing where all the ewes and the lambs are together. And um, now the grass will be coming in. They will uh, start dashing out onto the fields and enjoying the grass. Importantly, on our farm, we practice rotational grazing. Um, And so the whole principle of how we run our beef and sheep is on rotational grazing. Because we only have a relatively small farm at 90 acres, Um, grass pasture is, is at a premium. So I, I use um, electric netting for the sheep and um, hot movable electric wire for the um, cows. 
and we rotationally graves them, moving them uh, in short few days. They just spend a few days on each each bit, and they get moved along. And so, obviously, I think at the, at the moment in Pennsylvania or this part of Pennsylvania, the stocking rate is is one animal unit per acre. It might be being looked at, as I understand at the moment, but one animal unit being a thousand pound animal, um, and and a thousand pound animal in beef terms is equal to five sheep. So um, if you do the maths on that, we would very quickly run out of uh, space on 90 acres to, to do the numbers. So, But the rotational grazing makes it um, much more efficient and much uh, you can put more um, hooves on the ground, if you like, um, because uh, you move them frequently, the grass grows, and so therefore soil quality and regeneration is enhanced and uh, it allows for um, better stocking rates and better custodian being being a better custodian of the of the pastures i feel um so yeah and that's so that's how we 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 run our um we run our lambing and so on and so then the um the ewes and the rams stay with their mothers we do what we would call a soft wean so at four months the ram lambs get they do get taken away from their mothers but they can still see them and the ewe lambs stay a little bit longer with their mothers um and then they can, the ram lambs continue to graze in rotational grazing until they would go off to the butchers in um, in the autumn. Yeah, no, that is great. Thank you, Ollie. So now let's talk a little bit about the marketing of the products from your sheep. Really, how do you approach the marketing side of your business there, Ollie? And what strategies do you use? One of our biggest marketing tools is me being British. Because I've noticed that most Americans don't eat lamb. And all of where I live, all the producers around me are basically beef producers. And those that do have um, sheep, and there are a few up the valley here that do have sheep, none of them eat their own product. And if I ask them why they don't eat lamb, nine times out of ten, they'll think they don't know how to cook it. And so for me, me, uh, lamb is a staple part of... um, meat and two veg that we've always grown up with um, being from Britain in Shropshire. So I've just encouraged people basically to um, to start trying it. So that's helping. Me- Megan, my wife, has a full-time job and she works for Highmark, the health care provider, the health insurance provider. And she is not now still in the office with COVID, but uh, her office is in Camp Hill and it's a relatively big office. And so there are lots of people there who have somewhat become customers. So she, she has um, managed to make a lot more um, contacts um, out, out that way. So we have begun to sort of sell some uh, in that way through, through through Megan. I'm at a bit of a disadvantage because I have no social network in America because I'm new to the country. So um, that was quite hard. So the, in most cases, most Americans have a network of friends. Of course, I, I don't, and that made it quite difficult. So the marketing, from our perspective, has been very slow because we've been A, learning, and B, growing the business. So we just started selling to friends and family. And for the first four or five years, we had more people wanting to buy lamb than we could produce lambs. Um, so th- th- this year, that last gone, 2020, was the first time 
we had more than um, more people wanting than we had lambs. We did manage to sell three separately this last year, um, and they just went off to um, they weren't they didn't go through a sale barn, but we just sold them direct to a meat producer packer. Um, and so this next year coming up, we will be positively marketing. We've been kind of passively marketing, but obviously our network of friends and our network of um, people that have bought and passed it on to other people is increasing. Last, no, two springs ago, um, we started a Facebook page and we have a Facebook farm page, which is every week growing more followers. And so that sort of, it's not pyramid marketing clearly, but it kind of is surprising how fast word of mouth um, spreads. In fact, we took a photograph of one of our um, steers in a, um, a feeder just a few months ago during the winter there, and it went all around the world, I guess. You know, and so it, the power of the Facebook marketing is extraordinary. But last year we did sell um, t two, two half lambs uh, as a result of Facebook. Um, so this year we will be putting uh, more on Facebook at some point, we would like to get a um, uh, a web page put together, and so we can um, we can take orders therefore and represent ourselves via um, some web presence uh, having a web page. Um, we sell the wool and the pelts um, also through the Facebook marketing strategy because we try and use as much of the animal as we can. Um, and so on that, that that's a whole the wool and the pelts is a whole network of other people and the people that use the wool might not necessarily even eat lamb. A person might buy some wool off us having, after the sheep have been sheared and then come and visit, for instance, to collect it and then see our procedures and think it might be nice to you know, have a, have a um, half of lamb. And obviously selling to cities is somewhat more challenging because people don't have such big freezers. But that's something we will be looking forward to looking, forward to looking into in the future, the, uh, the, the selling and the uh, marketing of, of cuts of lamb. Well, as we wrap up here today, Ali, if any of our listeners have an interest in starting their own sheep operation, uh, what advice would you give them? Yeah, I think the most important piece of advice I could give, which we have adhered to purely by luck, um, rather than any um, calculated judgment on our part, is start with good stock. Um, now I'm kind of addicted to YouTube channels because I'm trying to learn as much as I can how to be a farmer, which if any farmers are listening to this, they'll just roll their eyes and think, oh my goodness, how is he learning to be a farmer from just watching videos? But I've obviously had to start somewhere, being in the, in the, in the infantry for 22 years. Um, but a lot of... Um, YouTube channels will often do um, top 10 things I wish someone had told me to begin with, top five things I wish I'd, uh, you know, someone had said, I wish a mentor had said to me. And in all of those different um, YouTube channels, in the top 10 of their, you know, their list will be starting with good quality stock. And so having fallen into that by accident, we started with registered um, shopshires. We started with a good stock from the clans. And it just happens that we were lucky that um, the Soviet crosses were of, of, of good standing. Um, it makes such a difference in what you do. 
because if you buy from the sale barn, you don't know what you're getting, where they're coming from, what they're bringing with you, with them. The good stock means that they will be more hardy. It means that they don't bring problems onto your farm. And it means that um, they take less of your time with the husbandry. You know, I've learned so much from different visits to different farms. And hand in glove with that, do get some YouTube videos under your belt. I know it sounds silly, but no matter how many times I watch new and old videos on YouTube, you always spot something you didn't uh, see first time and or you always learn something on each episode. So, but make sure your your handling systems are safe. And and that works, I think, two ways. It keeps the handlers safe and it keeps the animals safe. And low stress handling and low stress animal movement is um, hugely beneficial to both the animals because the husbandry and the care for, for them is vitally important, but also for the farmers, the users, the, um, the guys working with you or on your farm. And oftentimes that's family. And so the, the less stress the animal is up against, um, the, um, the better they will feel and uh, the, the, the better they will um, work with you. Wonderful. Well, Ollie, it has been so great having you on the podcast here today. You have such a unique and inspiring story, and we are so glad that your path led you here to South Central Pennsylvania with us. Well, Rachel, I'm very, I, I'm very pleased to be here. I, I, having been in the army, I've literally traveled around the whole world, and and I certainly love uh, this little part of the world, Franklin County in, in Pennsylvania. It is lovely. It's um, got four wonderful seasons and um, so I'm, I'm very pleased that a i'm here and b that i can pass on my story to anybody else listening thank you very much thanks for tuning in to today's episode listen to other episodes of field notes by ag choice posted at agchoice.com slash podcast